right. Uh, ha, it's good to be back. I have been told by many people that nilikuwa uh, nanyahunyo last week. And as it happens this week I want to press on that issue a little further. And I I have this title. I don't know whether it will make sense or not, but the way it is in my heart is this way. A place you once were, a place you have never been. Now it depends on where you belong. Either you have once been there but um have not been there for a while now or you have never been there on this issue of godliness. I don't know how to say it. I don't know how they will put it on drill group study guides, but this is, it's in my heart but I don't know how to put it across. Maybe I'll talk to Rev more after this. He's quite creative with those things and his idea how to put it to, uh, together. So, last week in passing almost in passing, I didn't dwell on it, but I said that the desire to be godly is proof that you too belong among those who have received the gift of salvation. I don't know if you remember me saying that. And so I want to press that issue further so that we can talk about this gift of eternal life. Because our desire to be godly, even our ability to be godly, comes from the, the fact that we now belong to God. Let me read, this is in first. Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 I don't know if uh, our media team has it already but 1 Timothy 3:16 says Actually let me start from verse 14 It says although although I I hope to come to to you soon I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed you will know how people ought, ought to conduct themselves in God's household which is the church of the living God the pillar and foundation of the truth Then verse 16 beyond all question the mystery from which true godliness springs is great he appeared in the flesh was vindicated by the spirit was seen by angels was preached among the nations was believed on in the world and was taken up in glory the mystery from which true godliness springs is the person is a person and this person is Christ so today i want us to explore this thought father if in this past week you have been looking through your life and you have been seeing some gaping holes in your godliness I want us to find out today could the issue be that you are not yet born again maybe you think you are born again but you aren't and this is why you struggle with godliness and it is not true for all people which is why I want us today I want us to examine ourselves it is it is it, it, it is possible that you are a believer but there is a laxity or a forgetfulness of god and the things of god that has led you to um, your struggle with godliness but it is possible that you do not know the lord at all you think you do and so maybe your struggle with godliness comes from the fact that you have not met god you have yet to meet the source from which true godliness springs maybe you have always gone through the motions of christianity and i think i mentioned this last sunday you attend church you tithe you give you have appropriate speech you have routine prayers you know how to say the grace and you know that in events you should start with prayers and end with prayers um you know not to go to certain places because people are going to say you're not a believer there are you know you go through the motions of christianity but you have not yet 
met the Savior. So then your struggle with godliness, as I have said a little earlier, is that you have not known the source of godliness, of godliness which is God. You see, it is, one of, it is actually the most dangerous place to be, to be deceived about the state of your soul. Imagine if you are the one who, you know, Matthew chapter 7, if you are the one who will arrive at the pearly gates. See, we talked about our desire to be in heaven last week. Imagine if you are the one who will arrive at the pearly gates only to be told, depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. I never knew you. Because when we read it, we imagine it of other people. But have you ever thought that it could be you? Imagine your shock. Imagine the disbelief. Imagine the stark realization that you're about to spend your eternity in damnation, in, under God's eternal wrath. Paying for your own sin because when the gift was offered to you, you did not take it. You did not allow Jesus to pay for your sin, so now you will be paying it yourself. And I want to tell you, you will pay it for eternity because the amount of sin we have accumulated by nature and by choice cannot be paid for to be finished. See, maybe your reaction might even be anger. Because maybe you have been serving in church. And you might think to yourself, what? You might, I mean, Matthew chapter 7 does tell us, Matthew 7, let's, I don't know if media team, I hope media team is playing those scriptures, yes, yeah. Matthew 7. Jesus will say, oh yeah, thank you. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. This scripture tells us, tells us it is possible to serve the Lord, but be a worker of lawlessness, but not be known by the Lord, but not be welcomed into eternity with God. And so I want us to examine ourselves today. In 2 Corinthians 13, 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, Paul says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And so I want us to take the test today and determine whether Christ is in us. Determine whether our struggle with godliness is because we have yet to know the Lord. Determine whether our struggle with ungodliness or with, with godliness or ungodliness, you understand what I mean, is that we, we, are going, we go through the motions of Christianity on Sundays and in our daily lives, but we have yet to meet our Savior. To do this, I want us to examine two biblical characters both who had ongoing personal issues that portrayed some ungodliness in their lives, but the heart behind that ungodliness was different for each party. One's ungodliness had been caused by a heart that had become cold, lax, forgetful of God and of the things of God, although he was truly a man of God. But the other's ungodliness was due to a heart that had yet to meet the Lord. And so... I want us to examine ourselves in light of these two characters so that we may know where we are and where our solution lies today, right? Character number one, King David. 
Let's go to Second Samuel chapter 11. Second Samuel 11. I feel like I'm being quiet. I hope you can hear me. I don't know why I'm quiet like this. I feel like I need a little bit more energy. Maybe the matter is quite serious in my own heart. But I can tell I'm, I'm, I'm sounding quiet. So Second uh, Samuel 11. If you have been in my Nawiri class of prayer, you know that I teach this story and I teach it all the time and I teach it passionately. And if you are going to be in my Nawiri class next Saturday, I will be going through this story with you again. So I'm not going to go into details today, but I want to believe you know this story of have, or have heard it. And if you haven't, let me commend you to part of your Bible study this week to actually go through this story. I want to tell it and read a few verses along the way that will help us um, to unpack this issue of ungodliness in David's own heart, in King David's own heart. So the Bible tells us, if you're in high school, you remember that they used to use this. Uh, David, in the spring, people have gone off to war, but David is at home, and he probably was sleeping, resting, and then he decides to go out, um, you know, just to see what's going. You know how it is like when you're resting sometimes in the evening? how things are. And in high school, they used to tell us, this is a, a case of being at the wrong place at the wrong time, and you will end up doing the wrong thing. I don't know if you remember those teachings. So David, in fact, it happens with David. He goes there, and while he's there, he sees a woman bathing, and the woman is very beautiful. And David goes, and he asks, um, who is that woman? And the person who he asked, we don't know his name, but we thank God for him because he tried to deter David from his sin because he says to David, is that not Bathsheba, Uriah's wife? Because there is a way someone can ask after someone and you can know what the intention of their heart is. And this must have looked at David and thought, Mfalme, already I know your ways with women. So far you have a few the way you're asking after Bathsheba, I don't trust it. The woman is someone's wife. But it's like David doesn't hear it. It doesn't hit him that this is what this man is saying. So he goes on to ask for her to come over, and she does. And he sleeps with her, and she goes back home because her husband is at war. Yeah? And um, after some time, she discovers she's pregnant. And she sends word to David and says, I have conceived. And immediately, David kicks into action to find out how he may cover himself. I don't know whether he was trying to cover her also from being exposed and embarrassed over this sin. And so he calls for Uriah. He calls, he uh, tells, I, I almost said he texted jo Joab. I was like, <laughs> I really am in this age. So he finds a way to tell Joab to send Uriah home. And Uriah comes and David asks after the war. How are things going? How are your fellow soldiers? You know, come along and eat with me. And he eats and then he tells Uriah, you can go home and then tomorrow you'll go back to the war. And Uriah goes and he sleeps at the gate. The next day it was told to David, you know, you, <laughs> you know people are like that. Because I don't know if people had figured out. Because uh, uh, mm -hmm. there are many people who serve in a castle, isn't it? So by the time uh, Bathsheba is coming, maybe she slept over, we don't know. But what would... Anyway, it was told to David that Uriah did not go home. And so David calls him back and says, uh, why did you not go home? And he says, Uriah, a godly man, how can I, my fellow soldiers, the Ark of the Covenant is over there, and may I come to my wife's bed? No, 
it can never be me. And so David now, you know how, see, you know when you have tried to cover your sin before? How am I going to do this now? So David decides, okay, I'm going to do another dinner and I'm going to get him drunk and send him home again, which he does, but the shoes refuse to know their way home. Uriah's shoes refuse. And David decides, so what does he do? He writes a letter and tells Joab, put Uriah where the fighting is fiercest. And he gives Uriah that letter. That part is usually the saddest for me. He carries his own death sentence to his commander. But he's a godly man. Ha chunguli. You know, see, you've watched those epic movies where the king puts his stamp, nini, the, that, the ring. See, you've seen those ones. But they find a way of chungulia na kufunika nikama, they never. But Uriah, the godly man, does not do that. He honors the king and he takes the letter. And Joab reads it and, you know, you asked me to jump how high. Commanders don't question the king. And he does that. And Uriah is killed. He sends the messenger back home and, um, uh, and he tells the messenger, when David hears that men have died, remind him that Uriah has also died. Because you know, David is rushed. David wears his emotions on his sleeves. He might, it's like the Amalekite who came and said, you know, Saul, he said to kill him because he was in pain. So I did. And David moans and then he says, and you who told you you can kill the Lord's anointed, kill the man. So Job is saying, now Useme, Uriah, and when he does, David says, don't worry, the sword devours one as well as the other. Go and tell Joab, be comforted. And I want us to read verse 26 and 27 of that chapter. This is Second Samuel 11, verse 26 and 27. It says, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Do you know how long it takes to, give, to be pregnant and give birth to a son? See, you saw me here the whole year hustling. <laughs> it, 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 um, it, it usually is, um, I don't know the word, but... Um, I notice how David does this act and is not sensitive at all to his sin against Uriah, both in sleeping with his wife and then going on to murder him because God says you killed him with the sword of the Amorites. God is not deceived by how Uriah died. And it took at least nine or so months. And David did not in any, he did not, he was not, he did not see what he had done. Life moved on. What we know is that God did not move on because it says that God, the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Nine months down the line. And sometimes, you know, when people are unfair to us, we think God does not see because they do not see, which is not the point. The justice is not the point of this sermon. Let's move on. God sends Nathan, and Nathan comes to David, and he begins to tell him a story of this man who had one lamb and this person who had many, but he had a visitor and he didn't want to, to kill any of his, of his animals. And so he takes this one. And you know how David reacts, don't you? He says, um, let's read that. This is uh, verse 5. David burned with anger. 
against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. He was so cold, so in, what is the word? I hope you can get so unaware of his sin, but he sees the other person's sin so clearly and he's, he burned, the word is burned with anger. He had no uh, connection to his own sin until Nathan says, you are that man. Did God not, God says, did I not do this and this and this and this for you? After Nathan says all of that to him, David says to Nathan, one simple statement, I have sinned against the Lord. He immediately, his heart, when his heart is opened to Guy, actually, that is me, he does not ignore it, he does not excuse it, he does not uh, explain it. He immediately says, I have sinned against the Lord. It seems to me that David had become lax, forgetful, maybe even less sensitive to the things of God, to God and to the things of God, a God who he had always lived so closely to. So you remember last week we read how he cut off the robe and immediately was conscious stricken because how could I do this, right? But he had become cold and less sensitive and indifferent and couldn't tell when he was sinning against the Lord. But how we know that he's a man of God is that he heart was still a heart of flesh and not a heart of stone. Because it is not said here, but we know Psalm 51, isn't it? We are told that he pens down this psalm as a response to what he had done. He tells, open Psalm 51, let's read that psalm together. Let's look at the brokenness of his heart when his sin is called out. In fact, the psalm begins by saying, for the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba, says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with high soap and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast, a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. You know this line, it usually means that when you have forgiven me and I have known your mercy, I'm going to turn and tell the sinners, why don't you come? Look at what God does, right? It's not I will teach sinners your, their, your ways. Do not commit adultery. You, it's not that one for teaching. It's the one for look at how merciful God is. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are my God, my, who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt, offering, in, in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. Do you see how God, David responds? Character one. Character number two. 
the Samaritan woman. I want us to open John chapter 4. John chapter 4. I want you to open because I want us to read it together. Unless it's in the, yeah, it's on the screen, okay. John chapter 4. Now Jesus learned, I want us to now look carefully at character number 2. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judea and went uh, back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town called Samaria, um, to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground uh, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. In fact, in your script, in your Bible, if you can see the the letter A there, there is one in mine. Down there at the footnote it says, Or do not use the dishes that Samaritans have used. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I will give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where you must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know them that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. There was long-standing beef between the Jews and the Samaritans. I'm sure you've heard that before. Uh, the issue here being that uh, they had been exiled when they were being resettled by the Assyrians. They mixed with people from other nations where the Assyrian king resettled them. They mixed with other nations, intermarrying, worshipping their gods alongside God. So they, were, they, they, they knew God but had been mixed with these other people in the resettling and so had gotten you know, themselves mixed up. But they had a historical spot. This Jacob's well that we are talking about here, yeah? it was where Jacob's well was, it was where Jacob had given, this land is the land that Jacob had given to Joseph, and it was where Joseph, Joseph's bones had been buried. So they had a historical spot in spite of the other issues. But Judah, the Jews, had remained pure-blooded, pure religion, they, they did not mix themselves with other people, they worshipped God purely, and they had Jerusalem where the temple had been 
built. So suffice it to say, ignoring the nuances in the story, they both consider themselves worshippers of God, both the, Safari- the Samaritans and the Jews, and they, they had um, that, and they are... <laughs> They both consider themselves worshippers of God with a few differences here and there that show up. These differences, the ones that we are going to talk about, they show themselves in the woman's discourse with Jesus. And I want us to look through that discourse carefully to see why this woman had not met the Lord and was not seeing, the Lord was here but was not even seeing it, right? And so that we can see whether we are more of the Samaritan woman and have not met the Lord, and think that we do know God, so that we can do something about that state of our souls before the day comes. Because, you know, every day we eat closer to the day of our death, to the appearing at the pearly gates, to the question, why should I let you in? So let's look through this discourse and see uh, how we may learn from this woman. This woman is as confusing as they come. She has history. She has the traditions. She even knows the Messiah is coming. See, even you, you know Jesus is coming. Even the people who do not are not believers, see, they know Jesus is coming. And they think they will be going to heaven. Maybe they think. She knows history, traditions, even the, that the Messiah is coming, but she lacks the substance thereof, which is exposed in her responses to Jesus. So I want us to go through it. Kwanzaa, she starts with a fight. Jesus says to her, will you give me water to drink? Basically, her response is, oh, you guys don't associate with us. But now that you're tired and thirsty, you don't use our utensils, but now that you are in need, you can use my utensils. Jesus ignores that, the immediate you know, push back and fight. And he already starts to point her to himself. And he says to her, basically, if you could see who I am, if you knew who was saying to you, who was asking you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus was telling her, if you could know who I am, if you could see who I am, you would ask me, you would need only ask, and I, will, I would give you more, I would give you freely, I would give you abundantly. To which she responds, I'm going to paraphrase through this story, I cannot see how you can do that. You don't have tools with you to get the water, and that well is deep. In fact, in my estimation, I think you need me more than I need you. Yeah? I want to start by asking the people who serve in church, whatever ministry you serve in, Is it possible that you consider that God needs you more than you need him? And you consider that he cannot provide for himself? The same way the woman did not imagine that Jesus could get the water for himself. Jesus, the source of living water. And is it possible that you consider Jesus cannot provide for himself what he needs for his church? So you, with your gifting, with your skill, with your time... He needs you more than you need him, is it? Because then that will portray a part of your heart, a a state of your heart, that might be the kind that will be spoken of, as Matthew 7 says, depart from me. You think you are serving me, but how your heart responds to me is, I think, God, you need me. The true posture of a heart of someone who knows the Lord, who knows what the Lord has done for them, who knows the depth of sin, 
that they were in and the precious blood that was shed on the cross for them. Their response to service is usually, who am I that I could serve? You know that song that we sing, I could not come near your presence. I could not sing your songs. And the one who says, after Mefanya Kazi, the master has, he has gone from the field, he has done the work, he has come. And the master asks, when he has come because he's tired, am I going to tell him, sit and eat? No, he will continue to serve. And it will be, what a privilege for me to serve you, God. And so I ask you, who serves in church, could it be that you consider that God needs you more than you need him? And so your state of heart is not, my goodness, I could not even be in your presence. What a privilege. What an honor to serve you. She also asks Jesus, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? You see, if you do not know the Lord enough, I'm back to the rest of the church. See to what you want to serve. If you do not know the Lord enough, you can subconsciously think like this. Can you really give me more than I already have? Are you greater than Jacob who gave us this will? I have a fair sense of joy from my crowns. You remember we talked about crowns last Sunday? From my money, from my status, from my houses, my cars, my education. I have a fair sense of joy from those things. Can you really be more to me than these things? Jesus' short answer I said I'm paraphrasing through this story, is yes, I can give more. I am more to you. Which she misunderstands because she responds and says, give me this water so that I will not thirst again and have to keep coming here to draw water. And you know most of us misunderstand God this way. When you hear that God is more and God can give more, how most of us Christians, especially in our setting in Kenya, respond to this is, we see him as a means to our own selfish ends, our own worldly desires, which is the problem with the prosperity gospel, isn't it? Say this, shout amen, do the other. God will give money. Oh, someone will call you with a job offer. You will get that visa that you're looking for. Uh, this and the other and the other. And so it is possible that you are here in church because I'm talking to people who are here in church because we're examining ourselves, isn't it? To see, to see whether we are in the faith. It is not the Lord you come to. It is not the Lord you come for. It is the things that he gives you. And so when you come to church, you expect this. It is your greed, your selfish needs and desires that you want the Lord to fulfill. So you do not want the Lord for himself. You want him for the things that he gives you. That could also point to a state of your heart that you do not know the Lord, you do not love the Lord, you couldn't care less about God and the things of God. What you care for is that God responds to your needs. Your, and not, let me not say needs, let me say your worldly desires, your fleshly, your greed. Jesus, at this point, changes tactics. And he says, uh, go and call your husband and come. Because she really was not seeing him. He was near. He was in her face. He was telling her about himself. You would ask me, I would give you living water that wells up to eternal life. But she wasn't getting it. Which happens to many times when we are seated in church. We are told again and again about Christ. We are told about prayer. We are told about this. We are told about salvation. But it's not landing. 
I have a friend of mine who says she had been here for years when some days, like she had for the first time, wait, are these people saying for years? So he turns her attention to her sin and tells her, go and call your husband. And her response is funny because she says, he, I'm saying it's funny because of what we learned later, because she says, I have no husband. It's like, we are journalists to my husbands. Just continue with that thing you were telling me about living water. And sometimes you're like that. When someone is pointing to something about how you're living your life, you want to move away from that story, isn't it? Because she goes quickly to another topic. She says, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. See, because Jesus says, yeah, you're right. You do not have a husband. You have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not yours. I have no idea what the situation is. But it doesn't seem like it is death that she's losing husbands and getting more. There seems to be a current a situation. She moves quickly from that story to say, I can see that you're a prophet. You know our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you claim that the place where you must worship is in Jerusalem. Quickly to other things. I don't know if you have ever been this person or if you are this person right now. When in attack could get personal, you start with religious controversies. By the way, you know which day should we worship. You know Sunday was a day for worshiping the sun. And you, are you sure we should be worshiping on Sunday? And you know the dressing. Kofia lazima tutoetu. Kwa nini unava kofia kwa kanisa? And should... We drink alcohol. You know Jesus turned water into. Control. Should women be preaching? <laughs> Saying that because I'm here and Reverend Jasmine is here and Pastor Judy will be here later. Controversial religious issue because you are trying to get away from. You know my real group and I we like this. When we are asked questions, people usually start. You know Christians in fact do this and Christians and then we usually tell each other. Mm-mm. Swalini where where she happy. So that's what she does. She turns the issue away for, to focus on controversial issues, religious controversial issues. And to be clear, I'm not saying that we shouldn't contend about these issues. What I'm saying is contend about them if you are truly concerned about them, not to be merely right or to use them as a cover-up so that you will never allow the brothers and sisters to come closer home and get personal with you. So are you that person? who is caught up with religious controversies, you are right about this and the other issues, but your life, when you kimalizana up on controversial issues about where we should worship, you go back home to that husband who is not your husband. Please give me 10 more minutes. Thank you. So for those who took a long, hard look at your lives this past week, who are you? Are you David? who as soon as you received the rebuke from your Lord, immediately agreed with God over your failures? To you, I want to say, if ever there was a man who knew how merciful the Lord is, how much God forgives, it was that same David, isn't it? Because you know even in that story, immediately he says, I have sinned against the Lord. Immediately Nathan says, the Lord has taken your sin away. There are other consequences that God causes us, especially those people who are very close to God, to face. But he says God has taken your sin away. David knows. He he failed many times. And not one of those times, never, did God ever hold back his forgiveness from him. 
And so to you, I want to say, if you are a David, if you heard about ungodliness and you considered your life and you saw your failures and you saw maybe the coldness and the indifference that you had grown towards God and the things of God, I want to say to you this, make your way again to the throne of grace. Because there you will find mercy and grace to help you in your renewed commitment to walk in godliness and to say no to all kinds of ungodliness. But are you the Samaritan woman? Do you know the Lord so little that in your view of the service that you offer him, that in that your view of the service that you offer him is skewed? So you do not consider yourself yourself privileged to be serving, rather you reckon that it is he who is in need of you and must repay you for your service even? Do you look at the Lord as a means to attain your worldly desires? Not wanting him, but rather the things that you can easily and freely get from him? There could be a problem with your state of heart. Do you weigh the Lord against your luxuries and your comforts and are skeptical whether he can be more to you than these things? Look, whatever comforts you, we leave you thirsty again. This is what Jesus was saying. This water that you're drinking will leave you thirsty again. But if the Lord is who you have, you will never thirst again. Let me give you an example. Have you ever bought something that you were really looking forward to? Maybe a car. Let's use a car. And you bought the exact make that you wanted. You were happy. And then after six months, one year, no, umekoki, enjoy. But there begins to come a time and you begin to think, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it. I think it's time to move to something else. And it could be anything. It could be a seat you were looking forward to having, a house you wanted to live in, clothes, a certain dress you saw in a certain shop, and you really, there's a comfort that you get. But after some time, you want something else. But with God, let me ask you, is there a concept of God which you, every time you think of, in a What's the song that you guys like nowadays? Let me tell you mine. When I think about the faithfulness of God, every time, even now I've just said it and I feel goosebumps. I think to myself, God is faithful to keep his promise to me that I will be with him in spite of this. And then next week something else is going to happen and then I'll think, God is, that thing, it doesn't, Aishi Nini. Lada, I don't know the English version. If you are seated next to an expatriate, please help me. That feeling, it doesn't end. If you know the Lord fully, I want you to think, in fact, is there a concept of God, a thing you know about God, that every time you think of maybe the mercy of God, maybe the goodness of God makes you feel, and yeah, I love that I'm in God. I was saying all of that to say, do you consider, do you weigh the Lord against your luxuries and your comforts and are skeptical whether he, of whether he can be more to you than these things? And so then you don't give yourself to the things of God. You give yourself more towards attaining these things, the comforts and the luxuries over and over again. There could be a problem with your state of heart. Lastly, do you find that you are quick to shift off convictions and keep them from taking a hold of you? My mom once told me this story that before she became a believer, her sister was a believer and they were passing by and her sister was going to a Bible study and she said, see you, come. And my mom went. And as they are talking, she begins to feel the conviction. And she tells me she took her bag and she left. Because I, 
you guys are beginning to get to be, I, I don't want that. I have another friend of mine who has told me that she was living in with her boyfriend at the time and she kind of knew it shouldn't be done, but you know, she wasn't really there. And she decides I'm going to go to church today because you know, I'm also a believer. So you know that thing of I'm a believer, but I'm living this lifestyle, but I love the Lord and I want to be in church. And so she came and that pastor was talking about fornication. She tells me she picked her handbag. She couldn't, and she left. These are two people that I know in my own life. When the conviction was coming closer, they took off. Do you find that you do that? And you want to move away from Christian brothers because you don't want them to get to your heart? Look, the Samaritan woman came. It it seems that she came across Christ by chance. And sometimes God does this. He provides means for conversion and salvation when we are not looking for it. Maybe today you came to church as part of your normal Sunday routine. Not because you know the Lord or wanted to meet with him, uh, neither had you intended to meet him for the first time. Maybe you came because you want to bring your children to church because you think it's a good thing to be done. You know, I, I, I don't know who I tell this, but usually sometimes I say Sundays can be good for people, because, not because of meeting with the Lord, but because of what you're planning to do after, the sleep after of resting. When you, when you consider Sunday, what you're excited about is the kulala that comes with Sunday. Or the party that you're going to with your friends after. Or the family gathering. So coming to churches, nikumalizia iyo kazi enye tunafanyanga Sunday. Now here you are, maybe what you're looking forward ni kulala ama kwanza kwa iwe the abaridi or a party. And now here you are, Lorraine is speaking to your heart and asking you, do you know the Lord? The bad news is, as I said when I began, is that you're inching closer to the day of your eternal either salvation or doom. And unless you flee to the cross for help, you will head towards your eternal doom. Like the Samaritan woman, unless you finally see your sin. And I want you to know that the Lord knows it fully because when she says that I have no husband, see, Jesus said, yeah, in fact, you have had five. And the one you have, Jesus is fully aware of the life that you're living. If you do not finally see your sin, you will not run to Jesus for the atonement of your sin. And you will have to pay for it for your, for, you'll have to pay for it yourself when the time comes. And I, like I told you earlier, you're going to pay for it for eternity. I don't know if you're feeling weary and heavy laden by your sin. Now that I have pointed out these worldly things that you want to get from Jesus and uh, serving him uh, as if he needs you more than you need him. I don't know if you are seeing the state of your heart this morning. Because I hope that you're feeling weary and heavy laden by your sin. Because then you will come to Christ for rest. Says, come to me who are heavy, who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. I hope you feel like your heart is being pricked. Because only then will you come for healing. If you only focus on the, you know, the religious controversies and this and the other thing, you will never see your need for the Savior. And if you do not see your need for the Savior, you will not come to the Savior. And if you do not come to the Savior, the day of your death will come. And Jesus will say to you, depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. He has been near to you even though you knew it not. It's like the Samaritan woman. In fact, there's, I think, hmm, I can't remember the name of this writer, but he says, 
Jesus was dying on the cross, and you know the story of the people who are dividing, casting lots for his clothes, up or down? And he said, so near, I think it's Max Lucado, so near, yet so far. They were literally at the turn of the centuries. This event here is about your life. But you are not seeing it, you are busy dividing the clothes of Jesus to take for yourself what you might find. He has always been near to you. Every time you do your Christian traditions of coming to church and making that prayer, he has always been near to you, though you did not know it. So consider this your chance to turn to the Savior. Consider this call, a call to come lay your sins at the foot of the cross. Don't go home with them. Don't go home with the burden of your sin, the burden of the guilt that you carry. Because God can take it from you. In fact, the blood that has been shed is ready, available for you to cleanse you from that sin. So I want to do this today. I want to ask you to close your eyes, to bow your heads. And let me ask, is there anyone here who would like to receive the Lord today? Is there anyone who knows, you know that you have not met the Lord, you know that your struggle with ungodliness is that you have not met the true source of godliness. And you know this, your sin, you're seeing your sin, you carry the shame of guilt, and you would love for the Lord to forgive you. Let me ask you to raise your hand, just raise your hand, every head bowed, close, eyes closed. If you would like for this to be you, just raise your hand, I'm going to see your hand and I'm going to make a prayer for you. Father, my heart is grateful that you give us a chance before we have to face your wrath you call us again in your mercy in your goodness desiring to save us from your own wrath I thank you for these ones who have raised their hands before you today who desire that you would heal them that you would heal their hearts of this problem of sin they come to you in faith and God I want to pray that today you will make yourself obvious to them because today is the day of their salvation they will remember this day, 26th of the November, 2023, they gave their lives to you and that you came into their hearts and that you changed them and changed their hearts of stone and gave them hearts of flesh. I pray that you will receive them into your home today, that you will let them know that you will convict their hearts and let them know that they now belong to the family of God. That if today, like the thieves on the cross, should they die today, they will come into your presence and they will say, welcome home, my child. I bless your name for them. I pray for those who have yet to come to this conviction. God, would you not relent in pursuing after them? Show them who you are. Show them the mercy shown them on the cross. Show them the need for a savior and grant them this gift of salvation. In Jesus' name I pray. Let me also say that if you are still hustling and struggling and wondering whether you are that person or not, our prayer tent is there at the back of the sanctuary. Pastor Madenge is going to come after this with his prayer counselors. You go quietly over there and they will lead you to Christ. Amen? Amen.